Hello and welcome to the Sport in History podcast brought to you by the British Society of Sport History in association with the Institute for Historical Research. This week it's another stateside podcast as Connor Heffernan talks to Sam Shelfout of the University of Texas in Austin about weightlifting and the Cold War. Uh, they also discuss the role of Bob Hoffman in the promotion of weightlifting in the US and the golden age of US weightlifting in the 1940s and 50s. So do keep listening if you want to hear that. Also, at the end of the podcast, I'll be bringing you details of the programme of the Sport and Leisure History Seminar for 2020, uh, which will take place at the IHR here in London. And also, I'll be uh, letting you know about this year's Aberdare Prize, uh, the prestigious award given by the British Society of Sport History for the best book of the year. So, without further ado, let's listen to Connor having a chat with Sam. So, hi everyone and welcome to another Sport and History podcast. Uh, it's Connor Heffernan at the University of Texas. I have the pleasure of sitting down with Sam Shelfout. I've Shelfout, I've learned the name properly. If you yeah, have a dusty shelf, take the shelf out. Yeah, that's it. There yeah. you go. So, Sam <laughs> is a graduate student at the University of Texas in the Physical Culture and Sports Studies Department. So I will stop talking and I will ask Sam to maybe talk about himself, why he chose Texas, and what he's currently doing his research on. Yes, so um, thank you for inviting me on to talk about my, my work and my research. Um, I am currently a PhD candidate at the University of Texas at Austin. I uh, did my undergraduate at University of Portland in 2014. Uh, I, came to Texas originally in 2015. This is my fifth year at University of Texas. Um, so you either really like it or really hate it here? Well, they've uh, given me a good place to do my work. Yeah. So I've, It's grad school, it's both. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I got my master's here, uh, graduated in 2017, and I decided I wanted to stick around and dive deeper into the research side of it. Um, because that, those were sort of the things I became really interested in, or that was a site I really became interested in uh, as kind of a profession or as a scholar mm. as I came in. And a lot of the stuff that I work with, with uh, my advisors, Dr. Jan Todd, Dr. Tommy Heim, uh, th- those were the sort of things that I thought I could make a difference and do uh, some good work in, I guess. So. Yeah. so your master's was in sport management, isn't that right? Yes. And then your pivot now is more kind of sport and diplomacy and then esports as well yes uh which is a very odd yeah combination i'm trying to figure out how the two hold my head right but people probably know some of your work already because you published something on john with john fair yes on weightlifting and the cold war and kind yes. of american i suppose diplomacy mm-hmm. how did you pivot into that so maybe, what was the paper about and then how did you pivot into that yeah so that paper actually began when i was at my first semester of my master's program at texas i was taking a class with jan todd and we had a it, the class was uh history of sport and business mm-hmm. and so we were trying to figure out how i could kind of take these uh well let me start by saying i graduated with a political science degree in my undergrad so i was really interested in the politics side but with a degree in sport management, I was focused more on, you know, what I could do in the sport mm-hmm. industry. I was looking more towards looking at jobs, working with a professional or a college yeah. team. But I wanted to, like, mix these two sorts of uh, interests together, basically. So sport and politics. And I talked to Dr. Todd about this, and she was 
gave me this idea uh, from a paper written by Dominic Moraes. Hmm. And he wrote an, uh, a article for Iron Game History about Paul Anderson and his uh, first trip to the Soviet Union uh, just to do weightlifting things. Yeah, so Paul Anderson is that like behemoth mid-century um, American weightlifter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, that was a very well-written article by both him and uh, Jan Todd. And that sort of, uh, we started talking about that originally for an idea for a paper. And Jan told me, well, there was also a second trip that was taken after the Paul Anderson trip, but no one's really kind of written about that yet. And that was still significant because uh, it focused on Bob Hoffman, who was the founder of York Barbell. Um, He was working with the USA weightlifting team at the time, and they took a trip to, it was Afghanistan, Iran, or Iraq, India, and it wasn't Calcutta, it was, oh, Burma. Yeah. Um, and uh, the sort of geopolitical implications that trip had were, are also, should be, like, yeah, highlighted, should be talked about. Yeah. And so, um, so we got to work on that paper, and I wrote the paper for class, and uh, Jan liked it enough mm-hmm. that I was like, you should think about publishing this. And I know we have John Fair, who's... Uh, regular, he teaches at the University of Texas in the spring. I want you to introduce you to him and uh, try to get something working on this. And uh, so that's kind of how the paper began. And that's sort of where my interest in sort of like this diplomatic approach uh, with sport kind of evolved. And since that paper, I've kind of looked at how all sorts of like all countries, all sorts of governments, uh, even like non-governmental officials use sport to advance their interests or advance like their ideas for governance or diplomacy or um throughout the world and so that's kind of where it began and it was a really fun paper we actually got to travel quite a bit we went to a couple presidential libraries in the united states we went to the eisenhower uh in kansas and we went to the nixon library in los angeles and so it was just like from that sort of experience it was a really fun paper to write just Mm. because we got to get into these really like cool archives and uh, and that's sort of how, I don't know, the long version of it, but yeah. uh, uh, how my interest in sort of sports diplomacy evolved. Mm. But it's a really interesting, because when you think like sporting diplomacy, mm-hmm. and we've spoken with it, actually Andrew, one of your co-grad students, and he mentioned like ping pong diplomacy. Yeah. And like, obviously we think about like soccer trips, uh, basketball trips, tennis, even rugby, mm-hmm. but like weightlifting tours yeah. are not really something... Right. That you talk about, like there's a lot of stuff in England, I know Jeff who edits has looked at sporting tours mm-hmm. as well, like there's not a huge amount on actual like goodwill weightlifting tours. Right, or just weightlifting tours Just wa- Just weightlifting in general, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's, you know, the idea with the sort of diplomacy is you want to make a connection with uh, the nations that you're visiting yeah. through the sports that they are interested in as well. Um, and this paper was really interesting because... For the first leg of the trip in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, they were able to focus on weightlifting. They were focused on uh, basically just like exhibitions Mm. and because there was some sort of interest in those countries. But once they focused their uh, trips towards India and Burma, uh, the citizens of those countries weren't really interested in weightlifting. They were interested more in bodybuilding. Okay. Uh, They were more focused in the physique of the lifters that were going there. So one of the lifters, Chuck Vinci... 
uh, he was more, well, you know, he was definitely a weightlifter, but yeah. um, the citizens of those countries were more interested in sort of like the physique, the, um, that sort of aspect of it. And so it was interesting to see how um, those, that, those, he was received in those countries yeah. compared to the first leg of the trip. That's really interesting because Eugene Sando visits India in like the late, it's the early 20th century and he popularizes bodybuilding and bodybuilding mm-hmm. kind of becomes a cultural you know, okay. sport in India. So mm-hmm. it's interesting then that by the time you're looking at it, which is the 1950s, 50s. that, that it still actually has that hold because I'm thinking of there's Indian physical culturists, but they're all bodybuilders like KVIR. Right. And other individuals. So it's interesting then that you have like, gold-winning Olympic <laughs> weightlifters. Yeah. And people are saying, no, no, we just care about what, what you look like. like yeah. That's, yeah. And, and what was the response to that from, like, because Bob Hoffman, he's an out-and-out weightlifter. Like, he is. Yes. Um, so basically, the, the response from the trips in general mm. or the reception that they received was overwhelmingly positive. Um, the governmental, there, there were multiple governmental officials that were present at these events, um, up to, uh, very high levels of government, like, mm. I don't want to say like, uh, like leaders or presidents, but, um, they were also accompanied, the team was also accompanied by congressmen and women from the United States as well on several legs of these tours as well. Yeah. And so, um, basically the reception was overwhelmingly positive and they ended up you know, spreading a lot of, you know, commonality, goodwill. Um, The problem that we found in our papers, though, was that this was at a time of geopolitical upheaval for a few of these countries, especially, like, um, in, like, Afghanistan, where regime changes were unbelievably common during the Cold War. And so any impact that these weightlifters had at the time of their trips were sort of um, forgotten very quickly since government leaders were quickly, you know, cycled through. Um, so it was, that was sort of an interesting way to look at it as well in terms of sort of the diplomatic impact was like, well, does it matter if these diplomatic trips are being taken if um, they're not really remembered? Yeah, the impact. roots aren't taken home. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and Bob Hoffman in terms of uh, like shifting towards bodybuilding was yeah. that the original. Um, I think Bob Hoffman was just more focused on the diplomatic efforts. Yeah. Okay. Um, we didn't really get a sense of, you know, whether he had a disagreement because I know he's more of a weightlifting yeah. enthusiast more than a bodybuilding one. Um, but the primary resources that I looked at or that both Dr. Fair and I looked at were, uh, primarily strength and health magazine, which are available. Which is yeah, his magazine. Well. Yeah. His magazine. And, uh, there was no real, uh, kind of ill will against it they were proudly displaying you know this is what we did in india and burma and uh it was he emphasized that they were doing more bodybuilding you see a lot of uh pictures of you know the physique Mm. being shown and everything and so um i didn't really get a sense from his magazine or from anywhere else that um that it was like an unwelcome shift or but they were enthusiastically uh received it's interesting to think, though, like how quickly they realized they had to change in order to, as you say, like find that commonality yeah. on these sporting tours. Right. Weightlifting doesn't immediately strike me as something that the U.S. government would have wanted to. Well, not that they would have wanted, mm-hmm. but like, so the U.S. weightlifting team mm-hmm. from the late 30s to late 50s, 
is basically funded by Bob Hoffman mm-hmm. and York Barbell. Like, he's not getting a huge amount of government mm-hmm. subsidies. Was this something that he decided to be the driving force behind a diplomatic tour? Or did someone approach him and say... So, the original... Uh, so, um, after the Paul Anderson tour to the Soviet yeah. Union, Bob Hoffman sort of had some contacts in the U.S. government. He was actually... Uh, I don't, he claimed to be close to uh, then Vice President Richard Nixon. Yeah. And so um, in the 50s, he attended an event in Washington. Bob Hoffman attended an event in Washington, and he was able to um, like approach or talk to mm. Nixon for a little bit. Nixon was actually the one, as far as Bob Hoffman claims, he uh, approaches or Nixon approached him and said, we like what you're doing. Uh, athletes are some of the best sources of American goodwill and even our diplomats. Yeah. And like, for some reason, athletes can better speak the language of diplomacy than uh, most can. So we want to send you to like on these trips across you yeah. know, the world. I don't know why specifically they chose the four countries that they visited. Yeah. That was never really clear, but um, the U.S. government was kind of uh, facilitated the state department specifically was facilitating these goodwill tours across the world. And, mm. um, they had a lot of uh, different reasons for going to different countries, but they were making global, uh, trips all over the world at this point in the fifties. So, um, there was no clear reason why they went to those four countries, but, yeah. uh, given the interest in weightlifting and bodybuilding, I guess, <laughs> um, it kind of seemed like a good fit. Well, it's just, it's a really, because this is, like, U.S. weightlifting has been the dominant force mm-hmm. in, like, the 40s and... It's, the golden age. Yeah, it's the golden age, yeah, yes. like, the late 30s to either the mid to late 50s. Yeah. It's just interesting because, like, the U.S. is kind of on the wane. Mm-hmm. And not, yes. not yet, but it's, right. it's coming just around the corner. Yes. Because the Soviets and Eastern European countries are going to really dominate weightlifting. Yes. And continue to dominate weightlifting right. to 2019. Right. Which is interesting that it's really driven by the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a sense of, you know, this brilliant team, like, you know, let's just exhibit them everywhere and get them to challenge other people. It's really the Cold War has sent an American weightlifting team to... India, Burma, yes. Afghanistan. Yes. Just, and you don't think of weightlifting holding much sway in the Cold War because mm-hmm. the Soviets just started to dominate really early on. Right. Well, from the 60s onwards. Yeah, so the timing is really interesting yeah. that they took this trip. Let, like They were able to take it before, um, like at the peak of sort of this, this age, I guess. Like it's, it's right at that tipping point before right. the US falls away and the Soviets become kind of the well not the soviets but just the europeans and mm-hmm. asian countries yeah. start to dominate the sport yeah. they kind of it's kind of like a last hurrah right yeah exactly uh, because there isn't a tour the next year is there or is there a goodwill tour yeah from bob hoffman and the weightlifting team no they were more focused on sort of world championships yeah like the goodwill tours kind of fell off by the wayside a little bit mm. but um because they were more focused on getting the results yeah particularly but yeah um it's just such a, an incredible propaganda piece, <laughs> not just for the U.S. government, but for Bob Hoffman, because yes. he's coach of the U.S. weightlifting team, mm-hmm. but he's also running York Barbell, yes. which is selling equipment, and right. he's also publishing Strength and Health magazine. Yes. So in his magazine, he can claim to have links to the U.S. government, and he can mm-hmm. talk about all of his 
weightlifting yes. uh, athletes and he could talk about him as a coach. Yeah, he was. It's an incredible marketing tool for... So the US government obviously benefits. Yes. But Bob Hoffman as an entrepreneur... Oh, absolutely. Really benefits. Like, yeah. And this wasn't novel either. Like, mm. um, if you think of Spalding in, like, the early 20th century as well. Yeah. That, he, the global trips that he took was also sort of... Kind of the same idea as the entrepreneurial pursuit to mm. spread the brand name, spread um, like equipment across the world. So um, I don't know if Hoffman was inspired by anyone to do this, but I think he sort of had this sort of you know entrepreneurial mind in yeah. general, like owner of York Barbell. Um, it was definitely on his mind, and a lot of the equipment that they brought in was uh, were York barbells and stuff, and so they wanted to highlight that aspect as well. Yeah. Um, so. Um, but yeah, it, it really fit that because from so he becomes the weightlifting coach after the LA games in the nineteen thirties. Okay. Th- around that time, so like from the nineteen thirties through to the nineteen fifties, he's he links weightlifting to American like cultural yes. and political and economic strength. Yes. So it's kind of a, it's also a validation of mm-hmm. his two decade long belief. Right. And you don't really see the goodwill tours taking out to the 50s since that's the Cold War begins. Mm. And the, the countries I mentioned that there was sort of, you know, maybe why were these countries picked? But um, those the countries that he visited in particular were also like uh, Soviet satellite states. And yeah. that was part of the bigger strategy of the United States. The State Department was sort of to promote these American ideals so that they would not succumb. I'm air quoting yeah. <laughs> to communism. It's hard to, to do air quotes. I know yeah. in a podcast, but <laughs> um, no, it's just it's very interesting to think about this happening. And I'm just wondering the physical makeup of the U.S. team. I can't remember from your article with John, mm-hmm. who's on it, but I know John has written about like in the '40s when the U.S. is the dominant undisputed weightlifting team. They have a really multi-ethnic team. Yes. And Bob Hoffman makes a great... You know, he writes a great deal about the fact that we have a lot of second-generation immigrants on our team. Is there still a multi-ethnic dimension to the Goodwill Tours in the 1950s? Yeah, there is sort of emphasized. So you have Tommy Kono. Oh, oh, he's still there. Yeah, he was on the trips. Paul Anderson was on the first uh, leg of the trip, Mm. but he ended up uh, getting really ill, so he had to fly back to... Uh, to Georgia. Chuck Vinci, uh, I think, might have had, like, was uh, sort of multicultural. I think yeah. he was, like, a first or second generation uh, immigrant. But um, the other two were uh, P. George, who was a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm blanking on the last person, but I yeah. don't think he was multicultural. But it wasn't really emphasized. And maybe um, if there was any emphasis, it was through the pictures okay, that yeah. were in Strength and Health. And uh, basically, there were so many pictures. If you read the articles in Strength and Health, um, there's uh, just multiple, I guess, every leg of the tour they visited, they had full-length articles, maybe like five or six pages, but there were these just beautiful, the whole pages were just covered in photos. They took so many photos while they were over there, and whether or not that was for the magazine or whether or not that was for uh, just to show off, uh, you know, the team and who they are. Yeah, um, which is kind of like fun to think about. Like, you know, they want to tell the story through the pictures. They want to like basically say that. So, um, yeah. And in terms of... 
the lifter. So Tommy Kono, he's Japanese American. Mm-hmm. He's interned as a child in America during the Second World War, mm-hmm. when they after Pearl Harbor and they intern Japanese citizens in America. Mm-hmm. Learns to weightlift in the internment camp. Becomes like probably one of the greatest weightlifters mm-hmm. the United States ever produced. Yes. He's visiting, I, I know he's not visiting Japan, but right. he's, he's visiting areas in Asia. Mm-hmm. Is he the one that gets more attention than kind of Paul Anderson, the big farm boy from Georgia? Yeah. Or did, did they try and market Tommy, like, you know, promote Tommy Kono more than, say, Pete George? So it was funny because sort of there were several lifters on the tour that kind of had their moments in the sun, okay. basically. Yeah. So when... Um, when they first visited Afghanistan, their first leg of the tour, uh, Paul Anderson was the star attraction. He yeah. was, you know, just a freak of physical... Like, for anyone who doesn't know, he's, at, like, high 200 pounds, over 300 pounds, potentially. Yes. Like, he's just a very large yeah. and strong man. And just very... The shape of him is just... Vi- can... Visually jaw-dropping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so he was definitely the attraction on the first sort of leg but when he drops uh when he falls to illness that's yeah. when tommy kono is um introduced as sort of like the premier sort of weightlifter yeah okay. on that leg of the tour and then when they head to india and burma that's where sort of chuck vinci comes in um as the phys- like the physique the yeah. um so it's kind of interesting where they're like there's no pure star i think if paul anderson was on the entire tour i think he would have remain the the most attention for yeah. sure um just for who he was at the time and what impact he made um especially in the soviet union um a year before mm. on that trip as well i think that would have generated some waves but um yeah he ended up getting really sick um on between two uh, one of the legs on the tour um and so he had to drop out and that's when sort of there was really no bona fide superstar on the team yeah. uh tommy kono was still you know he was definitely established at that point but um he didn't have that poll that right not yet yeah and if anyone is interested i think there's actually video footage on youtube of paul anderson yes. in the soviet union mm-hmm. and just a, a packed out stadium to yes. see this burly american man yes press rights overhead right so it's interesting on the tour he's obviously the star but then how it shifts based on expediency like we need someone at the front of this but also right. then based on what local tastes yeah. want so to speak so india is more bodybuilding tommy kono had an incredible physique but he's more known more as a weightlifter right so it's interesting that depending on what was demanded of them they would shift who was in the spotlight of that yeah so it shows how fluid these diplomatic trips actually are yes and the trips were interesting because they were still, as long as, or at least from Bob Hoffman's point of view, every uh, stadium that they performed in was packed, sold out. Do you believe that? Because Bob Hoffman uh, had a I know, I know. an so interesting gotta, relationship with the truth. Yes, you have to like take everything, you know, at, you know, you have to kind of think about, you know whether it's true or not. But Yeah, where is this coming from? Yeah, it's the source. Mm. And so, and there's really no, I couldn't access uh local you know local news articles or since it was not in the english language yeah um so i couldn't double check or anything but from what bob hoffman said packed stadiums sold out everybody loved us and so i'm i'm willing to believe it to an extent but yeah you know you gotta kind of have that skepticism as well in terms of you know 
your biggest star dropped out? How does that affect attendance? Mm. Um, but and that really is one of the problems, isn't it, with studying kind of nineteen well weightlifting across any decade or year is right. that it tends to be written by the people who are also yes. selling products related to right. the event itself. And the pictures, the pictures help though. Yeah, and right. So, I mean, they, yeah. Yeah, and so that's what makes this one really interesting. Um, in my recollection of you know looking through those pictures, I didn't really see many crowd shots or mm. many of those, so we can't really like double no, check. No, I'm not casting dispersion. <laughs> I know, I know. No, <laughs> so, uh, but it's just it was a super interesting kind of look at how weightlifting was kind of mm. you know reveling in the spotlight and seen as this vehicle for United States and American values. Mm. Uh, at the very you know beginning of the Cold War, where a lot of nations are hesitant to take sides with mm. the U.S. or the Soviet Union uh, towards one philosophy or the other, um, and so that's where we kind of see you know these appeals, these stronger appeals to Americanness, to yeah. so I don't think Sovietness or Americanness those are words. Yeah, but, no, but I'm sorry. yeah, the ethos. Yeah, but we're early enough where you know it's it's interesting. It's interesting to see like. Mm. Every, before you know the rest of the cold war happens how it sort of yeah play, is playing play, out. yeah places itself and it, it's a really interesting paper though by virtue of the fact that there doesn't tend to be a lot of research on the interaction between like british or american weightlifting which is mm-hmm. depending on the de- the decade where the preeminent competitions are and the rest of the world so people as we talked about have looked at like sandown india yes there's been two or three very good articles on uh, Ethiopia and then I think Singapore as well, mm-hmm. uh, or Mal- Singapore slash Malaysia mm-hmm. on weightlifting. But no one's really looking at that interaction between these, their global outreach. So it's a really interesting paper in looking at how, as you say, like Americanism spreads to, well, not spreads, but is important, yeah. you know, briefly inhabits these different parts right. of the world. Because yeah. it is a global. Phenomena is too strong a word, but yeah. there's, a glo- there's a global interest in what these U.S. weightlifters are doing, at sure. the very least. Yeah, I think absolutely. So, yeah, and that's what, um, yeah, I guess that's what makes it interesting. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, feel free to disagree. Was, <laughs> this is a stream of consciousness. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with it, though. One thing I'm actually very interested in, though, so strength and health, when you're reading it, is wonderful because you got Bob Hoffman's often very bombastic statements about yes. how wonderful York Barbell is. But you also get, like, letters to the editor. Yes. The entire time. Right. Are, are the readers responding with the Goodwill Tours, or is it very much, like, this is just a kind of interesting bit, but tell mm-hmm. me how to build 10 pounds of muscle? So the covers, the, these trips are featured as, like, the cover articles on Strength and Health. Yeah. Or maybe not all of them, but a lot of them that I saw, their pictures were, you know, on the covers. Mm. Um typically opens with Bob Hoffman with his little uh, editorial or like yeah. welcome readers. Um, but there wasn't very, I didn't see any uh, reader responses or uh, maybe I didn't look far enough. I don't know how long it takes to respond to these as well. Yeah. But, um, I didn't really see any reader uh, feedback on the trips, which I thought was kind of surprising because these were feature articles. They mm. were six, seven pages in length. Um, cover you know on, yeah. on the cover and so i expected that yeah i think it's uh right to presume that there would be some sort of feedback or some questions or mm. anything from readers that more about these trips but 
that was one thing that was kind of conspicuously absent through uh, in the articles that I was looking at. And I've looked, you know, uh, two years before, two years after um, in that sort of range, looking for anything I could get on these trips or anything that um, preceded or yeah. would have, you know, uh, would have predicted that these trips would have happened. But um, that's one thing that was kind of just absent and something I never kind of considered before. Um, <laughs> you brought it up but the thing was that they were never that's yeah fascinating because again return to John who you should probably mentioned has written the biography of Bob yes. Hoffman Musseltown USA USA yeah like at one point he talks about Hoffman was marketing uh, like a protein fudge product and he was getting test again now I'm doing air, air, <laughs> air quotes, know, air quotes. <laughs> he was getting testimonials from readers about how wonderful his protein supplements were and sure. uh, some of them were clearly written by Bob Hoffman. Uh, <laughs> yeah, under the guise of, I'm a dedicated reader. So it's interesting <laughs> that first, there didn't seem to be a huge response from his magazine's readers, but also that mm. he didn't then try and fabricate, you know, his own like, oh, I'm so happy you're publishing on this. So it's interesting that, like, it's a great marketing tool for mm-hmm. Hoffman. Yes. But it doesn't, seem to capture his readers' attention. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out that paradox. Right. It's quite an interesting thing. And maybe it's sort of selective as well, where mm. if he has editorials or questions that pertain more to York or to the team, um, maybe those would be more prominent. I mm. think maybe a lot of the responses at that time would be more focused on the countries themselves. Yeah. Which would like, you know, what's the culture like? What's... Um, but it's also really interesting. I guess this is sort of kind of a, um, a consolation, I guess. But when you, the, he talks about all the countries they visit, he al- tends to preface a lot of the experiences that they have in the country with, a lot of people are wondering about this, this, and this. And okay, this is yeah. how, this is what we talk about. But a lot of those focus more not on the weightlifting, not on um, the events, but they focus more on uh, local cultures mm. or the cultures of the countries that they're visiting and they go and they, he has a lot of sort of interesting stories of of the sorts of experiences that they have in these countries and um maybe today if read today maybe not so politically correct but um what is that bob hoffman had some anecdotes i was like yeah they're not gonna... <laughs> there'll be some questionable yeah. statements in them as well right so i'm i don't want to like recreate or like yeah no probably at this stage in your career it's probably best not to lie about yourself um but no it's just it's interesting because strength and health is published primarily in america Mm -hmm. but it has a worldwide yes reach so i know in the 60s there are a lot of letters going back and forth Uh, at least i know my own work from strength and health and people in india so at Mm -hmm. the very least Mm -hmm. you know he was like marketing yeah you know himself and his products right correct um but it's just i know we'll finish up now in a minute or two but something that i just thought would be such a wonderful platform from the article you and john wrote Mm -hmm. is looking at later physique or Mm -hmm. weightlifting bodybuilding goodwill tours like so right yeah the ifbb starts to do foreign mr olympia tours they do Mm -hmm. south africa which is the basis of pumping iron documentary they also go to Asia in different parts. And it's mm-hmm. Joe Weider, who's one of Bob Hoffman's rivals, is effectively doing what Bob Hoffman has done uh-huh. two, you know, two decades, two and a half decades after. Uh-huh. So it's just interesting that what you and John study 
yeah continues on in some way shape or form of people doing you know half goodwill half marketing right tours so it's kind of something that remains within the culture or ethos yes. of physique game or physique sports uh, we have completely cannibalized all of our conversation about diplomacy. I know you're also working on esports, yeah. but I'll maybe finish up by asking, what does the future hold for for Sam Shelfout? Yeah, so I'm beginning my dissertation now. I'm trying to incorporate both elements of sport diplomacy and esports mm. um, into this dissertation, which will be a challenge since it's there's a lot of recency uh bias um you don't see sports really taking off until the 1990s and so there's not really opportunities to look historically at it but what my uh paper will mostly be focusing on is how do we view diplomacy after the cold war Hmm. because a lot of the cold war uh, narratives of sport diplomacy are sort of focused around competition focused on our country is better than your country but the way we use sport diplomacy today, or especially I'm looking at the United States focus, um, is how do we bridge cultures through sport? Mm. And how do we kind of better relations with our other nations through sport? And this is sort of touched on during the Cold War, um, but definitely after, towards the end of the Cold War and after the Cold War, this is more of a concept that's kind of gotten lost. Um, people or the government kind of forgot about sport diplomacy because it didn't really focus meet their needs yeah it wasn't as pressing right and you see a lot more non-governmental uh entities stepping in uh to more for more capitalistic gains Mm. and so like hoffman york barbell um a lot of corporations a lot of companies wanted to gain a foothold in the soviet markets uh through sport um so one of the (laughs) This is a funny example I found in sort of the newspapers, um, but something I might touch on in my dissertation as well is that Taco Bell sponsored a Soviet baseball team in the United States on a three-week goodwill tour uh, where they played in different locations across the U.S. um, to promote baseball, to promote Mm. Soviet-U.S. relations, but for Taco Bell, it's probably to promote Taco, Taco Bell as yeah. well. Well, so, um, so you see, like a lot, towards the end of the Cold War and after the Cold War, more of a capitalistic focus on sport diplomacy and how that sorts of, sort of, changes how we view sport diplomacy yeah. in the future. So I'll be looking at that. I'll be looking at how we sort of use sport diplomacy today in the United States mm. um, through the State Department and. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun project. I'm really excited. Yeah, and tasty of Taco Bell involved. <laughs> If I'm they, still trying to figure out if they have an archive. That's <laughs> fine. But I'm sure, I mean, they have to have something, hopefully. I we'll mean, find out. Stay you'll tuned. find out. Stay tuned. And yeah. on that note, I'll say thank you again to Sam. Yes, um, thank you. Sam will provide his biography, so if people want to know a little bit more about him, how to contact him, and we'll put a link to your and John's paper, which... Is that published in 2018, or is that... It was 2018. It might have been 2019, actually. Okay, yeah. Well, we'll put a link to that as well. Yeah. It really is a fabulous yes. paper. So, yes. on that note, back to Jeff in England. Thank you very much. Well, thanks a lot to Connor for um, kicking off 2020 in fine style there, talking to Sam about weightlifting. If you want to come along to the Society's uh, seminar at the IHR, we'll be kicking off uh, 2020 on Monday, the 27th of January, when Veronica Smith of the University of York 
we'll be talking about the stained glass at the Victoria Baths in Manchester. Some of you might remember those baths from a BBC television programme uh, called Restoration. Uh, she is examining that stained glass and looking at it through the lenses of sports and gender and culture in 19th century Britain. I also promised you news of the Lord Aberdare Literary Prize, that is the Society's Prize for the Best Work of Sport History, published in Britain or written on a British subject during the calendar year. And I'll shortly be sending out uh, emails to publishers soliciting entries for the prize. And if you are an author and you have published something in 2019 that would fit the criteria, then do urge your publisher to get in such touch with the society. If you want to find out more details about the prize, you can find them at our website, which is sportinhistory.org. And there you will be able to read a roll call of the illustrious names that have won the prize in previous years, including some of Britain's top sports historians. So people like Tony Collins, Cassia Body for her history of boxing, and Emma Griffin. But for now, that's all for me. And until next time, it's goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>